This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. And welcome, welcome. I'm here live on Pet Life Radio's Ask Dr. Jeff. We are streaming this today for the first time. So we're going to get from both sides. We're going to be on Pet Life Radio, and we're also going to be on uh, Dr. Jeff's Instagram. And uh, so uh, we want to hear from you. We're here for you. So uh, how to get a hold of us? Easy ways. Number one, the good old-fashioned telephone, 877-385-8882. Once again, 877-385-8882. But better yet, Join us here live on uh, Pet Life Radio. You go to PetLifeRadio.com. You click on Shows. You scroll to Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. And just join the link right there. It's going to be left for you. And uh, you can join us here live. That's what we, you know, like they say, you can text me a problem. I can probably help you. Send me a picture, much better. But on video, it's the best. And that's why we do telemedicine, because it's the best way to get information, the best way so I can see what's going on. I can make a diagnosis so much better. They say a picture's worth a thousand words, a video's worth a hundred thousand words. So uh, anyway, that's why we're here. So as you know, we like to start our show perusing through the news, what's going on in the veterinary world. And uh, I'd like to share that with you. Second half of the show, I'm giving you a little preparation. I did want to do it next week, which is only a week before 4th of July. So we're going to talk about some 4th of July to help everybody out uh, to make it a very safe, fun 4th of July for everybody. So sadly, in a zoo in India, a second lion has died from SARS-CoV-2, the COVID virus, COVID-19. And uh, there were 10 lions that were tested that were positive, all most likely from a worker at the zoo or a visitor. They don't necessarily get on their own. In fact, we usually have not heard of cats, even big cats, dying from COVID, but it is happening. It's very, very sad. So uh, hopefully as we are, our numbers are dropping all over the country and hopefully the world, except for this new Delta variant, which frightens the crap out of me, we have to be very careful. So talking about viruses, you know, it's like, when is it going to stop? So there is a virus. I, I've never heard of this one before. It's called the Powassan, P-O-W-A-S-S-A-N, Powassan virus. It is transmitted from ticks, the bites of ticks. So, and the tick that carries this virus is the same deer tick. Well, now a lot of ticks carry Lyme disease, but that was originally known to carry Lyme disease virus. So we have a problem where we have these ticks that are carrying not just Lyme now, but also this Powassan virus. Uh, it's a deadly tick-borne disease. There are two residents in Connecticut. We know Connecticut from Lyme. This is where it all started. And uh, uh, it's coming from the deer tick. So these two, fortunately, were not killed, these two residents of, of Connecticut. But just to let you know, you need to get your pets on good flea and tick medication. There's some really good ones out there. They're all, we've talked about it before, they're in the same class of drugs. We call it isoxazolines. The isoxazolines, there are four major products out there that contain this chemical. Very effective, very safe. There are some stories you're going to you be careful with Dr. Google. You're gonna, it's going to tell you about how it causes seizures. No, they don't cause seizures. However, if you have a pet, a dog that is predisposed to seizures, has already had seizures, yes, then they say some of the oxazolines might create a seizure, cause a seizure. If your dog is perfectly healthy, my dogs are on them. I'm going to give you the four names. I have no preference whatsoever. Uh, you have the Brevecto, you have Credilio, you have NexGuard, and you have Semperica. Those are the big four. Now, the other products out there over the counter that claim flea and tick protection, and I'm not going to mention names, I'll mention the chemical name, imidacloprid and fipronil. 
You look for anything with imidacloprid or fipronil, very safe, but no longer effective. I would say not effective at all, but minimally effective. It used to be the best, these two that were on the market. They both went OTC over the counter. And now maybe because there are just so many doses out there, people you not using them properly and they're getting resistance. And now fleas and ticks are very resistant to those two chemicals, fipronil and imidacloprid. And also just think about it. You give an insect 20 years, that's how long they've been on the market, 20 years to develop a resistance. And trust me, they are going to. So just so you know, and then those of you like me who don't like bees, yellow jackets and wasps, guess what? There is one out there and it's called the Asian giant hornet. And it is a killer. Now, it doesn't kill people unless you get uh, stuck in a swarm and you're high allergic, but they really, they attack bees nests. They go after the honeybees. They decapitate them. It's like, it's really gross. That's what they call them. These are really killer hornets. And again, we obviously, bees serve a purpose for us. And um, they pollinate our plants and flowers. They give us honey. And uh, these hornets, for some reason, don't like the bees. They were big there. We've seen them uh, in North America. They've been sighted in north of Seattle. And uh, so anyway, just so you know, if you don't like them and I don't like them, be careful if you ever see, they're like two inches long. We're talking, we're talking a big bug with a mean sting, a mean bite. So if you don't like that stuff, you, you, you just be careful. All right. Now, fortunately here in Los Angeles, I don't have to worry about this. Yes, I have to worry about earthquakes, but we don't really see tornadoes or hurricanes here in LA. But nationwide, this is hurricane season. So we got to be, um, just to give you some warnings about hurricane season. First of all, you need to include your pet's in your household emergency plan, whatever that is, you need to include them as well. And um, so here's some the basics. You want, first of all, you should have, make sure you have a picture or something about their medical record and their vaccination record. That's very important in case they end up somewhere, in case they have to be put in a shelter, whatever the case may be, you need to have that information, okay? Also, whatever medications. So you wanna make sort of like a pet emergency kit for your pet that should include, of course, any meds they're on, food, Give enough food just in case it maybe maybe five six days of food basically basic first aid basics like uh you know gauze uh, uh, an antibacterial ointment bandages bandage material just basic stuff like that to help them now it's also very very important you need to have they need to be microchipped and your pets need to have some sort of collar id as well because as much as i love microchips and all my pets are microchipped even my indoor only cats and i have five of those you want to make sure because people are not walking around with scanners. So some of the microchip companies, which I really like, will actually have their tags that can have the microchip number, the Google number. I mean, one of the ones I use, Save This Life Microchip, actually, they give a, every single microchip is given a Google number. So the tag says, Google this number to find my family. So when they Google that number, it immediately contacts the main office 24-7 monitoring 365 days a year and um, every single day in 66 on a leap year. And uh, they will then contact the owner. Now, the person who Googled, they're on their phone clearly because that's how they Googled the number. All right, we're finding this dog on the street. As soon as the owner's notified, they have their phone. Then what happens is the two phones, they talk to each other through the satellite and it sort of becomes like a GPS. So that number, now the two people are talking to each other real time, a Google map pops up and shows the owner of the dog where the person who found their dog is standing exactly location. So it's really, really cool. But any kind of ID, external ID and a microchip is critical. And also on the carrier, you should have a carrier prepared in case 
right? You have to evacuate in case you have to take your pet to a shelter that has to have your name, address, phone number, and someone else, preferably out of the hurricane area, a family member that they can contact. So these are just really just, it's all about, we call disaster preparedness. We need to make sure that our pets are prepared for these terrible disasters. So if you live in Florida, you know about cicadas. They're these huge bugs. And apparently as they move, they are a great target for dogs to chase and cats too. They love to chase them and they eat them. They're moving treats, what it boils down to. And people are very nervous about, well, oh, what if my dog eats this huge bug? So uh, according to an expert, a toxicology, it's not bad. You know, it's like people in different parts of the world eat bugs, they eat insects, they eat cockroaches, they eat, you know, and not for me, but they do eat them. And I find nothing appealing about them personally, but apparently some people do. Apparently they say high in protein. You know, if you want to get your protein by eating a bug, go for it. But <laughs> I'm not doing it. But anyway, uh, pets do like them and they are non-toxic. The only thing that the, the warning was because they have a hard exoskeleton. Now there are some animals that might be allergic to something in the exoskeleton. So that was, is one potential danger. The second is if they eat too many of them, they're just going to get an upset stomach. So again, if you have one such dog that, or cat that likes to eat and chew these things, then uh, you just need to know that it's okay, but just, just like anything else, I could polish off some ice cream, but if I eat too much of it, I'm going to have an upset stomach. Now, here's a good news, bad news one. So as we know, maybe you don't know, but I'm going to tell you back in 2007, the bald eagle, our nation's you know, bird that we, uh, right, was was on the endangered species list, okay? There were then in um, 200 and, I mean, 79,000 of them, something like in 2017. Now in 2019, no, there were 72,000 in 2009, 10 years later, 2019, 316,000 bald eagles. Well, that's great because our bald eagles are the picture of the nation's bird kind of thing, right? And kind of like the mascot of America. And so that's good news. And now they're, instead of being endangered, there are 316,000 of them in North America, in Canada too. They're big in Canada, big in Alaska. And, but, but the bad news, the bad news is they prey. They are birds of prey. Now they can weigh up to 20 pounds. That means your little dogs or your cats that are roaming around in areas where there are bald eagles flying around are at danger because they are very aggressive and they are very strong. So um, anyway, you just need to know that if you happen to be sitting around outside and you happen to see wherever you are, a bald eagle flying around with that huge wingspan and those talons, you better keep your dogs inside because your little dogs anyway. I had enough tough time picking up my Tommy, who's you know an 80 pound Labrador, but my little guys, uh, a couple of them are, are 20 pounds or less. So just so you know, by the way, they're mostly we see them in the Northwest and big in Canada, Western Canada, uh, Vancouver, and all the way up in Alaska. In fact, it was really cool. There was a pet shop in Alaska that put they called the coyote coat. It's a vest that these dogs wear that has spikes, metallic spikes all over the place. And, and these long Teflon sharp things. And the dog wears it because it's pretty lightweight. Dog could care less, but it's basically for protection against coyotes because they can't bite down on that. It'll tear their mouths apart. But he's selling them to help protect these little guys that have to be outside during the day from the bald eagles. So anyway, when we come back, we're going to take our quick break. We're going to talk about 4th of July. So don't go away back after these short messages. 
you know, I'm always perusing what's going on in the pet world and I attend all the pet conferences. I came across a company I really like called Carlson Pet Products. It's family owned, very affordable stuff, and they specialize in creating pet safety products to keep your pets, you know, happily protected from the puppy stage all the way through their senior years. And they have tons of products. They have pet pens and folded elevated pet beds. They have crates, pet gates, etc. And um, I love their portable pens. First of all, they're very lightweight. You can fold them up. They have a little carry bag for storing. So they're really so convenient for you to use. You can use them for at home. You can use them for traveling. Or let's say you're just heading someplace down the street and you want to keep them protected. I think it's great. So the pet pens come in two sizes. You have a six panel and an eight panel. And so basically you get ample room to explore and you can add also an attachable canopy. So it creates like a shaded area to protect them from the sun. So for more information, you can visit them at carlsonpetproducts.com. You'll get 25% off the order plus free shipping. If you use the promo code PETLIFE, that's P-E-T-L-I-F-E. You're going to love them. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs> And welcome back to here live with Dr. Jeff here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Best with Dr. Jeff. And as I said, we're here for you. So if you want to get a hold of me, uh, you can always do so. Dr. Jeff, drjeff at petliferadio.com. You can find me on AirVet, my telemedicine platform. And you should better yet join us here live on Zoom right now. Uh, just uh, go on to petliferadio.com, click on shows, go to Ask the Best with Dr. Jeff, and click on our link. So anyway, first of all, I want to wish every father out there a happy Father's Day. And um, just as I was, I believe it started my morning early at a market, and one of the things I bought was some corn on the cob. And, uh, you know, we're going to barbecue later on today. And I, I realized that, you know, we need to talk about 4th of July because when I see corn cobs, it immediately reminds me of any of those days where we get together as family, whether it's Labor Day, Memorial Day, 4th of July, today, Father's Day, and maybe do some barbecuing. So, first of all, you know, we often have a blast. And, uh, you know, everything that goes with it, it's, uh, you know, with 4th of July coming up soon, a couple of weeks. So we need to just some basic pet safety. Okay. First of all, the barbecue itself, the grills, dogs, you know, when you're cooking will like to jump up because they smell food. If you're outside in the barbecue, they put their paws up there. If you have a big dog, like my, my Labrador, you know, so it can be very, very, very dangerous. Of course, burning. We want to keep them away from the tables. For example, a lot of the fatty foods we eat, we got to be careful because of pancreatitis, the bones. We know that poultry bones are soft, they splinter, they can cause damage. You know, it's interesting. Once they get into the stomach, they're probably okay, which is why we do not recommend trying to induce vomiting in a dog that just ate a chicken bone because it already got down. That's the first hard part. When you make them vomit, on the way back up, it can tear the esophagus, and then you then you got real problems. So if it's done, it's too late, it's too late. You want to check their mouths. Did they cut their mouths, et cetera? But even the big knuckle bones, the beef, the pork bones, they also can cause GI problems. First of all, they are very fatty. The marrow is very, very fatty. So you have bone marrow, very fatty. That can cause pancreatitis as well. And if we see those knuckle bones, when they get hollowed out, you know how many times I've had a dog, they somehow, I don't know how they do it, but they the way they angle it in, and then it comes in over the lower canines and then slips over. And all of a sudden, you got this big ring right here of that big, thick bone. And not many of you have the right, you know, you don't have a the correct kind of uh, saw that can actually saw those off like a cast saw. So you're in trouble. There's no scissor that's going to break those. So you got to come up with, well, I mean, there's a trick to getting it off because if it got on, you got to get off. But you got to get off the same way. You can't pull it straight. It'll never work. You got to lube it. 
you got to come over the tongue, over, over the chin, and then you can pop it off. So it's just something you need to know. Desserts, of course, desserts. They love desserts, but they're also, you know, pretty fatty. What else? Oh, alcohol. I tell this story often that I learned that one of my, my very first solo lab, who I took to college with me, Berkeley in the early 70s. And uh, I was at a, one of these teaching parties. And all of a sudden, I hear all this excitement and hooping and hollering. And everyone, I took around and my dog is lapping up beer. And if you ever want to see a dog drunk, just let them have alcohol. It's not good for them. Um, and they do, unfortunately, well, we know we like it. They like it too. So um, you want to be careful. Now, as far as the noise, this is a big thing. You want to be very careful as to where, first of all, you have to know your dog best. If you know you have a dog, it freaks out. We're going to get to a long-term solution in a minute, but you need to do something about them. I like the more naturopathic, calming, you know, chamomile, valerian root, passion flower, CBD, things that are, you might take the edge off. There are many drugs you need to see your veterinarian that, that you can be used. I mean, I'm talking like, you know, tranquilizers, sedatives, um, acepromazine, trazodone, cilio, which is dextromethotidine. I mean, there are some out there that are, are effective 100%. I even like some things like you can get natural calming, like the, the sprays, the DA2, the dog appeasing pheromone spray. You can get the, the feel away if you have cats that are freaking out. That also is calming. And those are very, very effective as well. But I also recommend keeping them in a safe room. A safe room is a room where people aren't coming in and out. There's no way they're going to get access to the outside. There's no open window they're going to jump through, break a screen, and um, play the music. And dogs, interestingly, are often calmed by classical music. The calms vest, for example, C-A-L-M-Z, which is also very effective. It sits on a pressure point, and it delivers some vibration right at that point. That's a pressure point between the shoulders. And in very low, it's, it's playing classical music. Actually, it's Beethoven's Furlease. And it is very soothing for them. It can be set to play and replay. So you might want to look that up. C-A-L-M-Z, the comms vest, also uh, very effective. But know your dog because they will freak out. Many of them freak out. And one of the things that we do is we've taught them to freak out. Because why would happens? Same thing with thunderstorms and lightning, right? What happens is the dog, when they start feeling this, what do they do? They typically, they come over to you. They want love and affection. They want attention. They're, and you say, oh, you poor thing, come here. And you let them sit on your lap and you pet them. And that's exactly what they want. So what's happening is we inadvertently are reinforcing that fear behavior. So again, of course we do it. So, I mean, one thing you might want to think about is giving them something that will occupy them, something that is self-rewarding, set them in that safe room with some sort of game that delivers treats if they, when they play the game or the toy that they chase. And when they chase the toy, treats are delivered, like my favorite, the Robobone. And these are things that really do help dogs cope with the noise and the excitement and the anxiety. So one of the things that, that again, we are doing this because we're coddling them sometimes too much. It's okay. Here is the, the, the best way to do it. It takes time. So you have to give yourself time for next year. You, I, you're not going to have enough time this year. And I've talked about this last year, and you probably didn't do it at all. So now I'm going to give you another shot. And probably next year, I'm going to give you another one to do it right. And that is this. So what you want to do is you want to get can get it online, sound effects. And this works, by the way, for thunder and lightning as well. And so you, you do the sound effects and you get the, obviously, fireworks. You put the dog in, you're sitting the dog in a room where it's lying and chilling, not necessarily with you, but I mean, not on top of your lap, but with you in the same room. And you are playing this very, very low. Pants are low enough that you see the, the volume knob going up, but you're not hearing it. They probably are. But it's so, so background, they're not going to respond. And you call them over to you, you tell them, you know, give them a sit and give them a treat. Good boy, good girl, whatever. Okay. 
and you do this a couple of times in a row, a couple of days, then maybe um, a few days later, take a break, and then you play it again. And this time you turn the volume up a little bit. Now maybe you're hearing it, but it's very low and probably not inciting this response. That's fear response. And again, you call them over to you, good boy, good boy, good girl, and give the treat. You keep doing this in little bits and pieces, right? Several days a week. And each time, every few times, you up the volume. And you get to the point where the volume is so low. But now what's happening is that response is that they are associating that noise not with something that's fear-inducing, but treat-inducing. So they are now comfortable because they know when they hear that, they're not going to be shivering and shaking in the corner. They're going to run up to you and they want their reward. And you're rewarding them for the non-response, not for the response. When we coddle them and we're petting them and we're telling, oh, you're so good, you poor thing, oh, baby, baby, right? Now we're that's reinforcing the negative behavior, the bad response. We want to reinforce a good response. And you just keep doing this and you can get to the point where you are, it's called desensitization and counter conditioning. We are desensitizing them from the noise, the, the loud sound, and this, you can do the same thing, as I said, for um, thunderstorms and lightning, then you are counter-conditioning them to not fear that sound, but to actually like it, because they're going to come to you, and they, now their association, it's a good, it's a positive association, they want the reward, they want the treat, and you give them for the non-response, instead of what we typically do, is we give them for the response. So then they can be part of the family, etc. Now, corn cobs, let's talk corn cobs for a second. These are probably one of the more dangerous things. And that is because you know your dog's gonna get a hold of fatty food. You're not, you don't want to do that. They're gonna get a hold of the, the desserts, the nuts, whatever you have out there. You don't want them to do that. Corn cob, you don't even think about. And so what happens is, what do you do with the corn cob? Typically, after everybody eats it, what do you do? It's either sitting still on the plate or you throw it in the garbage. And the garbage is out there and the dogs have access to the garbage. And usually, at least we do, you take that corn on the cob and you cut it in half or in thirds. So you got little bite-sized pieces. Well, that, that little bite-sized piece there is the perfect size for a dog. Now, without the corn kernels, because you've just eaten them all off, you have something that's about yay big, yay big, okay? And it is about this long. So what happens is dogs like it. They eat it, they swallow it whole. Hits the stomach, no problem. Goes through the intestine, the pylorus, which is the, the link between the stomach and the duodenum, the duodenum, the small intestine. And it's coursing through, and it hits a point, typically around the ileocecal junction, which is one of the more narrow, and it's kind of corkscrew. It's a, it's a really hard way to get everything through that little spot, and it lodges. Now, peristaltic waves, they, they do two things. Number one, they constrict, and they move up and down the intestinal tract. So they're squeezing it, and then they're pushing it forwards, squeezing it and pushing it forward. But what happens is this corn cob gets so tight in the intestinal tract it squeezes down on it, but the waves cannot push it forward. They cannot move the corn cob in the direction it needs to go, and it gets lodged. So what happens is the more the intestine kind of try to constricts on top of it, then it starts closing off the blood supply to that piece of bowel. And then you get, you know, basically you get a tear, all right, a perforation, we call it, and you get a perfed or perforated in GI tract. Now you have trouble. And when even when it before it perfs, it just causes the backup. You have a dog that's sick, that's vomiting, and you can feel, you take an x-ray and you can actually see that corn cob. And guess what, ladies and gentlemen, folks, there's only one way to get it out, and that's surgery. And if it's been there long enough and you have a sick enough dog, you have to do not just open up the GI tract, make a cut, pull the corn cob out, and then sew it up. That's fairly easy. We call that an enterotomy. No, we're talking an RNA. 
and that's a resection and anastomosis. That's removing an entire small segment of bowel and then reattaching the ends, making sure, try to make sure you still have viable blood supply. And an RNA is not 100% foolproof. Those are ones that sometimes tear after surgery. You don't know. It could become a disaster, all because of a 69-cent corn cob. You know, about uh, a month ago, I had a dog that swallowed a peach pit. And peach pit, very similarly. It goes down, no problem, starts its, its path, through, path through the intestine, and all of a sudden lodges somewhere and it needed to come out. Now, fortunately, this one didn't make it out of the stomach. So much easier. I had to do what's called a gastrotomy. We open up the stomach, take the peach pit out, sew it up the stomach. We do a double layer clothes when it comes to the stomach. And dog is did well after surgery, is doing great. I walked out with that peach pit in my hand. I said, I want you to see one of the most expensive peach pits you're ever going to see. And uh, it is. It's a uh, big surgery like that is tough and expensive. So save yourself the headaches and watch the garbages, watch the corn cobs, watch the food, and you can have a nice, safe 4th of July with your pets and your fam. Anyway, thanks for joining me here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Best Doc. Jeff, thank you all for following me live on my uh, Instagram feed. And those of you on Pet Life Radio, uh, this is being recorded. So and anyone who wants to see this again, uh, you can go on to PetLifeRadio.com, click on shows, and you can see all my past shows, and you can watch them as well. So anyway, enjoy. Have a great, safe holiday. Happy Father's Day once again. We'll see you all next week. Same bad time, same bad channel here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Pets with Dr. Jeff. Have a great week. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.